Hello, and welcome to the Continental Writing Club. <laughs> welcome to week two. We're excited to have you week all back two? with us. Chapter two. Chapter, Chapter two. two. I'm Fortnite sorry. Two. Fortnite two. <laughs> the second. Uh, uh, we yeah. are all a little vaguely under the weather, so if you can't recognize us from last episode, don't worry, we're here. Yeah. We maybe change skins, but, you know, it's fine. <laughs> that is so disturbing. <laughs> like, okay, I am, I'm recording this with, a lo- like, a little bit of a fever. Like, at 100, I, well, the last time I checked, I was at 101, like, an hour ago. So, I'm sorry, but when you said that, I literally pictured it, and it was very disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to give you fever nightmares. Thank you. Um, so yeah, chapter two, uh, let's, let's go over stuff, admins. Oh God, this is going to suck. That's okay. We'll just chop that part out. But, (laughs) uh, and I'm, oh, also I'm Brenna and I'm drinking tea today. Uh, Amy and I'm drinking a latte. Reagan and I am drinking a peppermint mocha and it is festive and delightful. Oh, mine is... Soothing and nutritious. <laughs> well, mine is caffeinated. <laughs> Fair. Uh, so we're three women who write 500 words minimum every two weeks based on three different prompts. And this week's prompts were chosen by Reagan. They were chosen by me. And the prompts this week were to write about something involving eye contact, something involving dreams, and the point of view of a non-player character or side character. Yeah. And so before we jump into reading our stories, keep in mind, uh, you find these prompts inspiring, um, or you hear our stories and just want to give us some feedback on either how we podcast or how we write, feel free to go online to our social medias or our webpage, which is www.continentalwritingclub.com, and let us know. And with that, you are also totally welcome to skip my reading because it's going to be awful. Don't skip it. Stay tuned. Okay. I'm just gonna, right, do we have any other admin stuff to do? No, but what prompt did you pick? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I chose eye contact. But, like, a dream also. Like, they were easy to... Just say, you, yeah, you're yeah. both. both. Both were inspiring, so I tried to write a little bit of both. And I'll start. The first directive in the manual was printed in bold font. It read... Do not attempt to make eye contact. Eye contact is considered an aggressive action. Many individuals have reported success in training their gaze downward at a fixed point during interactions. Neve looked away from the paper and practiced finding a point on the floor that would hold her attention. There were little chips and dents in the concrete, painted a gray-white, and she found one that was shaped like a Z. She recited the introduction all ambassadors were required to memorize. She had no desire to look away from the focus point during the recitation, but she was also aware that the experience would be very different once she was in the room with them. She braced herself mentally. The second directive was not in bold and stated simply, if you do not remember or do not feel you can pronounce a word in the foreign language, do not attempt to dock around the communication. In distress, raise your paddle to show the blue setting to the audience and retreat into the mission-holding area. Once safely inside, close the doors. Neve reflected briefly on this, considering that her first reaction was that this should also be in bold. She picked up the communication paddle from the desktop and rotated through the color options. Blue, red, yellow. Blue to retreat seemed an odd choice. She scanned the manual for what red would indicate. To indicate your location to retrieval forces, face the red setting of the paddle to the mission holding area to the best of your ability. Remain calm as you do this. Help will arrive. 
that didn't look good at all. It was toward the back of the manual, too. The last chance scenario, she wondered aloud. Her roommate stirred in her cot, already asleep, but responding to the murmurings. Neve's roommate was a beautiful lady, maybe ten years younger than she was, with long blonde hair, so light she must have some Scandinavian or Nordic ancestry. Her skin was light, but not freckled. Her lips a pale rose-colored and shaped nicely. When she was awake, her smile was wide and energetic, like young people often have. That smile was relief in this line of work and on a mission training in general. The people that gravitated to this field were often a bit jaded, a bit skeptical, and lacked humor. They were too direct, almost military, she thought to herself. Neve did not look at all like her young and beautiful counterpart at this point in her life, but she mostly didn't care. She was about 15 pounds heavier than she would have liked to be. Her knees made a popping sound now when she would squat or bend. Freckles had claimed more than 50% of her skin, and she hadn't committed to the braces that the dentists had recommended. She didn't want to be the woman in her 30s with braces on. And, she thought to herself, she had already learned how to speak 12 languages with this mouth. Why change it now? Her teeth were crooked in many ways, and she had a few extra teeth in her mouth, too. She almost never smiled without her lips locking those teeth away. Her brain, though, was sharp and fit. My brain is the sexiest thing about me, she thought, and smiled, because it was true, and she was proud of it. The third directive was an instruction on body placement and gestures that were universally different. The movements were accompanied by little diagrams and captions marked as preferred gestures. One of the gestures, the one she most liked, was a hand-cupped, palm-upward, moving from the chest to the audience as an appeal or accompanying a gift being made. It looked to her like something you'd do in bad choreography. The next section was gestures to avoid, then restricted gestures, then how to process the paperwork or digital agreements with the creatures, depending on their species, and then warnings about provoked or unexpected actions. That was the section with the red paddle instructions. Neve didn't see any instructions for the yellow setting of the paddle, and she flicked back through the manual. Nothing mentioning the yellow setting of the communications paddle was listed in the manual, and she made a mental note to ask the instructor about it tomorrow. It was late, or rather early in the morning, and she hadn't been able to fall asleep, so she had studied. Now, after reading the whole manual, she considered if she'd be able to sleep yet. Her mind felt very active still, her body tired, and she knew she had an early day ahead of her. If she slept now, she was able to fall asleep quickly. She would have about four hours of sleep. She weighed the options and decided to try to get some rest. It took time, but she did rest and wake at the normal time, feeling about as tired as she expected. Coffee helped, as it always did. She made herself eat some scrambled eggs, even though she wasn't hungry. She knew she'd lose focus later if she didn't have something in her stomach, and this was her one opportunity to do that. She reread parts of the manual while she ate, and her roommate smiled as she lightly mocked her dedication. It's not something to take lightly, Neve had stated, manual in one hand, coffee in the other, eyes trained on the words in front of her. Setting both down, she pulled her thick hair into a ponytail and grabbed her uniform jacket. It'll be cold in the room if you want your jacket, she said, hoping to put a little more friendliness in her voice. It didn't do to have your roommate on the wrong side of you. Thanks, her roommate replied, but her smile had faded. Her roommate did grab her jacket and followed Neve into the hall, accompanying her unasked to the briefing room. I'm not as good with languages as you are, the roommate started, but I'm pretty skilled at alien corpus interpretation. She hurried to keep up with Neve's pace, which was more brisk than her own natural gait. Oh, Neve replied, well, I can help you with your language skills if you need it. And maybe I can help you with your alien corpus interpretation, too, if you need it. Neve nodded as she walked. That'd be nice. The roommate smiled deeply. In the briefing room, the cadre worked around nine hours on the interaction simulation, 
and comprehension checks of the manual that they had all been assigned. Around hour eight, they had even done simulation work in their atmosphere suits, like they would have to do on the day. The next day promised more realistic simulation work. At the end of it all, hungry and mentally tired, they both ate at the canteen, quietly, and then walked together to their bunking. Neve had been practicing avoiding eye contact with everyone the whole day. Now, day done, mission accomplished, so to speak, she looked at her roommate's face. Her roommate was at her own desk, reading the manual quietly. The pressure of Neve's gaze called her attention, and she looked up into Neve's eyes. You're breaking the first directive, her roommate said, a knowing tone to her voice. But you're not one of them. Yes, but you've been practicing all day, and now you've lost your streak. So tiring, Neve said quietly and seriously. I don't like the way it makes me think to make my body so submissive like that. Then don't do it until you have to, her roommate said, just as seriously. But, Neve started and paused a little. Do you ever wonder why we do that with them? They don't dominate us in the Federation. And they have learned that our physical gestures are different enough. Why not just accept that human eye contact can be different too? Make masks to wear to block the intensity of the gaze. Her roommate paused considering. That's a good question, she stated after a bit, not much emotion in her voice. The thing is, with their bodies, the magna aliens, they can see past our suits, like past our skins even. They process the world differently. So like it's more important to have your muscles reflect what you're doing. And then when your eyes are looking at them, your muscles are showing that. And if you're scared too, and, and you tense, they can see that. I don't think a mask would help. The way you talked about feeling just now, after not making eye contact all day, like it makes you walk differently, move differently. You aren't threatening men, you know? Like, you're not about to make a fight. There was a long pause, and Eve said, Magna alien just means large other in Latin. It's not their name. She turned her face down to her book on her desk, her face blushing a little. It wasn't the thing to say, but she was embarrassed by her idiocy. Of course, it makes you more submissive. Of course, that's the point. Why did she suggest a mask to a skilled alien corpus interpreter? Because I'm shit at reading movements and bodies of fucking aliens, she thought. Because they get caught up on words and not the beings in front of me. She chided herself harshly, but was interrupted by her roommate's voice. Oh? She sounded surprised. Do you know what they call themselves? She asked gently. They call themselves Belgra, which means something like the other ones, or is, depending on the translation. She sorted through the piles of possible interpretation and nuances with word choice in her mind and then added, alien corpus means other body. I, I don't get their bodies. I, I need help to see their bodies and the way their bodies work for the interviews. She felt she finished lamely, but kept on. No way, her roommate said, bursting with activity. How do you say that? Her pronunciation lost the nuance and the separation of the words, but she tried many times again. She could hear that it wasn't right. Grailgrock. Mm. Uh, Grailga. Grailgra. I think I need to practice that. She stopped repeating the name and turned toward Neve, calming a little. I'm pretty awful with languages, she said. Can I show you something I'm good at? Neve agreed, and her roommate turned to face her, cleared her chair out of the way a little, and then moved, in all the ways the diagrams had indicated, but in a way that was smooth and graceful. Her roommate looked like a choreographed dancer. Now, she said, the hard stuff. And she twisted her back and hips head of alignment, sank her knees down in a semi-squat, and pulled her collarbones wide. She looked three-quarter of her usual stature and alien. She held her head down, but active. That's kind of like how they hold themselves, she said, but, like, way bigger, and I can't do their walk. Neva applauded slowly in wonder. So you've seen them before, even without language skills? 
She was trying to work out how someone so young, just now going through the Magna Alien negotiation team training, would have encountered them. Ah, her roommate said. Terra 3112, Andromeda. Maybe 20 years ago? I was a kid. They changed our atmosphere without any negotiation, obviously, and my family was lucky enough to have all the working atmo suits for us. We were allowed to depart. She became silent, but Neve had no idea what to say. The textbooks and official documents she had read from the times that Magna Aliens, the other alien species, had interacted with humans in ways that created this department of negotiation and cooperation had usually described the events in passive ways. The blank alien species had reclaimed territory once belonging to mission directives, or Alpha Group of Terra XXXX has been displaced by social events and will take temporary refuge at blank. She hadn't met someone who had been part of that before. Neve had been raised on an already terraformed planet, a part of their Foxtrot group. They didn't seem cruel, her roommate said at last, quietly. They gave us the opportunity to leave. They just... I don't know if they know what a little change to our atmosphere would do to us without living in the suits, you know? Anyway, it's why I signed up for this. I saw them moving as a kid and I couldn't believe it. And then in school you learn about this department being created and all the things we can do with this. And I had to try. I see, Neve said. At least, I see more now. Thank you for sharing that. Her roommate nodded and the women fell into silence, beginning little evening tasks before they retired to sleep. The months of species-specific training had ended. Simulations and role plays were done daily, at different hours every day, including twice being woken from sleep to immediately role play, as they might have to do in a real-world scenario. Me felt more comfortable, but still struggled with days without eye contact and the temptation to make eye contact when told directly not to do so. Then her mission indicator buzzed on her wrist, blinking a bright blue light, telling her to report for her first mission. She had been returning to rebirthing after lunch, and she raced down the hall to report. Donning a breathing mask with interior lights so each human could recognize each other clearly behind the panel of plastic and fully sealing her Atmos suit, she fell in line with the other four of the team. There was always a captain, a legal officer, two security officers, and a translator. The room cleared of other personnel. The doors beeped and closed behind them, creating a vacuum seal, and then the doors they were facing opened into the diplomacy bay. It was a large space with painting on the ground, little lights embedded along pathways to guide different species to different locations that would best accommodate them as they negotiated or met with the human representatives. For the Magna Alien, who were particularly large-bodied, the meeting area was designated as the center of the bay. The three Magna Alien waiting there for the team were roughly 12 feet tall, all waiting in that same position that Neve's roommate had once displayed for her, their hands resting by their sides with long fingers. As she drew closer, Neve could see that their skin seemed to be covered by a suit too, or perhaps it was just the plastic sheen of them. She reminded herself to keep her eyes down, and on the little lights nearest to her. Once simulations had started in training, she quickly learned that the easiest way to keep her focus on something else was to find a light, or to look at the tip of her own boot to keep from looking elsewhere. Digital scanners had been monitoring the trainees for eye contact, and she had not failed that assessment once in training. Now, with three magnet alien in front of her, their breathing and her own loud in her suit feedback, she desperately wanted to look up. The air was full of a smell that reminded Neve of both rotting flesh and the preserving chemical formaldehyde. The hair on the back of her neck prickled as she approached, and she felt as if the magna alien were staring directly at her. She focused on the light on the floor. The captain paused at the meeting zone, gesturing the approved gesture 3.7. Greetings. The captain turned his body to Neve, looking at her boots, and told her to translate his words, which would be the memorized interspecies treaties, as a reminder. The end. Yay. <laughs> And there is our very first indication 
of how awful it is that one of our requirements is you don't have to finish because you didn't finish and I want the ending. Yeah. Good yeah. luck. That's definitely one of the stories that if if we go back through and edit and finish, I would love to see that one finish because I could read an entire novel of that. I think that world you created is interesting. The species is interesting and the interactions are so specific and thought through. It, I want that manual. I want to see. <laughs> I, I want to know what you're supposed to do with the yellow paddle. <laughs> yeah. I. One of the things I really like about it is that it, it feels a little hard sci-fi in a completely different way than you normally hear about hard sci-fi. Hard sci-fi is usually very nitty-gritty science details, and mm. this is very nitty-gritty communications details, and yeah. I think that that's really interesting and not something that a lot of people do, even though you have movies like Arrival. It's, it's their specifics, and it's so fascinating, and I want to read all about it. Cool. I'm glad you guys liked it. Mm. I um, I Like I said, I was inspired by the not making eye contact and when thinking about it so much, I had this weird alien dream, and I was like, I want to work that in. Yes. And I didn't give myself time to to keep writing this story, but it is also one of the ones I want to revisit most. Should I do that and continue breathing? Because that's also really breathing is important. That was you breathe so you can write. That's yeah, yeah. That's what that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I apologize for my voice on this recording. I I love that you have the point of view. So yeah, the military aspect, the point of view from Neve, who is fairly militant. You know, she feels disciplined. She feels focused. She's here for one reason, but she doesn't want to be isolated. And I like the way she's trying to be friendly, trying <laughs> to be approachable, but she's so focused. And I I think the story from her point of view would be, is, would be so different from her roommate's point of view. Her roommate seems so enthusiastic and really interested in all the things and curious and open. Whereas Neve is almost afraid more of a sense of failure, I guess, and afraid of the actual event. Yeah. And it would be interesting to see that story arc. You need to write more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the things I liked that you did in that very short amount of time was you showed that it's not only about communication between humans and, and this alien species, but she and her roommate have very different experiences and way of going about things. And when she's like, oh you have lived this thing that I've only heard about and I never really put a face to the fact that some people are essentially refugees because of interactions with these aliens. It's like, I know about it, but I didn't know about it. Yeah. And I think that adding that in, not just for the communication variety, but for the world building, we know that there's all these previous events, we get a bit of history, we get a sense that there are other species in addition to the magna... Magna alien? Magna alien, sorry. Technically it's red. You wouldn't know I'm I'm a linguist. (laughs) The magna things, yeah. Um, We get a sense that there have possibly been violent interactions in the past and that we're currently copacetic, but we don't really know. Everything seems so sterile in the history books, which implies that there's been a long history. I just... I love imagining how the world came to be where it is in your story. Cool. I'm glad you guys like it. Yeah. I remember looking this up and like, obviously it's very focused on communication and language. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I actually struggled for a really long time about whether or not I should use Latin. Um, because I don't know that Latin would actually be the universal. Ah, that's fair. And I almost went with Chinese on it because we, a few of us speak Chinese fluently. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, 
That's a little too firefly. <laughs> it, yeah. It is one of the most spoken languages, though, on the planet. So I it's know, fair. Right? It's fair. Yeah. Anyway, that was my story. What would they be in Chinese? I mean, so it'd be like Da Jiang Shanti or like Da Ren. But no, their name means is. So then it would just be Sure. Sure Ren? Yeah. Or if or you're just... saying other, you're calling them other bodies, would they be Wai Jian? Oh. Yeah, I mean, Maybe. yeah. So anyway, as we nitpick, <laughs> as we nitpick linguistics possibilities, which is a yeah. I'm glad you guys like it. I I tried really hard to craft that one with the um, the way that the communication between people is challenging, um, especially like people who are trying to learn how to communicate with an alien species, mm-hmm. and then it's it's still complex for the main character who's cold and military and. And I forgot to bring, and I know I mentioned this before previously when we read them ourselves, but the eye contact, the having to keep your eyes down, it made me physically uncomfortable to read that part, to hear that part, because I don't like doing that. I don't like having no. to make myself feel small, and I would struggle hard with that. I don't, I am immediately aggressive when I feel like someone is trying to be dominant with me in a situation. I immediately square my shoulders and look up at them yeah. and puss my chest out. Like, I don't think... I, I don't know if I'd you be noticed very good at this, that. but this character is, like, very strongly influenced by you. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I wondered... It. It's an Irish name. Freckles. I basically... Mouth. Yep. <laughs> Linguistics. Aggression. Awkward with others. The first interactions <laughs> I yeah. ever had with you, I was like, I think she hates me. <laughs> and then you, like, intentionally tried to be nice one time. I was like, cool, she doesn't hate me. She just... You know. I get that a lot. Yeah. So yeah, I'm glad you like the story. Cause I do. <laughs> Thank you. I'm flattered. <laughs> yeah. I'm friendly. I'm friendly. <laughs> uh. All right, and on to our next story. Ooh, I mean, I had something I was going to say. Oh, but... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> you relax, please. Go. No, I was just waiting for a moment to actually say it, and I actually think I lost it, so it's fine. Oh, damn it. I was really excited to say it, too. Yes. We were talking about eye contact, military. Oh, oh, I was going to say that it's really interesting that you say that because I'm definitely one of those people who looks down. Really? Um, and I do it because it makes it easy, it makes it easier to go around people. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I feel like it's less subservience and more just, you don't see me, let me duck around you. And it works really well when... I'm threading through crowds or something. Oh, yeah. I guess I do it then. Um, yeah. Or, or just... It, it's it's an avoidance tactic, but it, I think it, part of it is less like, I'm scared, I'm subservient, and more like, I don't want you to, to notice me. And I think... So I will make it harder for you to notice me. Yeah, that's yeah. actually, that's a, a real technique. Like, snipers do that, too. They don't yeah, ever look don't at ever people directly. look them in the head. And or... that's why, like, the part in the story where, after not looking all day, even just looking at her roommate's face, they didn't actually make eye contact directly. But even just that, like, pulled her roommate from reading her book. Because everyone notices that. It's, like, a really... Animal instinct kind of thing. Yes, exactly. But, yeah. And I, I feel like, like, I do that when I'm walking around. I don't want to be... I don't want some stray person to stop me and think, oh, this is a girl I'm going to chat up. Like, I don't... I avoid stray that. Person? Stray person? Stray. Who are you? A person that's wandering... Like, that's... there's crowds going somewhere, then there's a stray person oh. who's looking to interact. A stray person. I thought you meant, like, not one of your friends, not one of your group. Like, just some stray person. <laughs> stray. <laughs> An unclaimed <laughs> stray human. God, I don't want to make friends with you, but you're a stray person. <laughs> I guess I'll take her in. No. That's, don't that's kind of what him. you do, Brenna. Right? No. 
You collect strays. Uh, no, I collect introverts. You know that. <laughs> we're kind of strays amongst them. Yeah. Yeah. Introverts. Yes. Intentional strays. When it comes to like reporting to something, to someone, or having a direct conversation with someone, I don't look away. Hmm. Unless I don't want them to talk to me. And I'm like, go oh, the fuck away. Can you not see that I'm not looking at you at all? That means I'm not interested. All right. Um... Why am I giggly all of a sudden? <laughs> you hook up. Pump it up stuck in your head? Yes, I do. <laughs> Pump up the jam. That was my childhood jam. No, I'm fucking kidding. I love uh, that song I, so much. <laughs> I, I've seen this numerous times, uh, but I was looking online at memes and stuff this morning and one of them was just a snapshot of a tumblr and it said in two seconds you will have the lyrics of barbie girl stuck in your head (laughs) and right underneath it was like how dare you and it's true as soon as you read it it was like you immediately started singing barbie girl in your head it's cruel because it feels like rick rolling people is like rick rolling yeah Yeah. okay uh so my turn um i went strictly with eye contact on this one um doesn't it has a title but i feel like it's a little spoilery for the story so i'm not gonna tell you the title look at me she walks through the temple sandals softly whispering against marble floors she can feel the eyes of the worshippers on her as she walks with her sisters preparing the offerings as required her mind is not on the ritual she focuses her eyes on theirs on the people around her she revels in their gaze their awe she's beautiful and young and she knows it She is the perfect priestess for a goddess, and she knows that only a goddess is worthy of her. Look at me. She looks at her sisters and knows they are hers. Her friends, her priestesses, her worshippers, and her saviors. They are a family, and yet they are beyond a family. She moves through them, her eyes contact theirs, and she knows that they are hers just as she is theirs. They are bound by duty and by love. She enjoys her position in the temple that these women have given her, and counts her blessings to be among them. Look at me. Her cheek presses against the cold marble. His hand wraps around her jaw, holding her down as effectively as if she were a babe. She can feel him, and yet feels nothing. His divinity makes him unknowable to her senses. Yet she still feels the violation occurring, still rages and wails. Her eyes connect with her goddesses, but the statue remains motionless. She begs, tears spilling down her cheeks, to splash on the floor, as she pleads for her goddess to intervene, to save. Even after he is gone, she does not look away. Look at me. She refuses to bathe or be bathed. She sits in her soiled garment and stares. The goddess's face never changes, but the more she stares, the more she sees in her eyes. Her fellow priestesses beg, first for her health, then for her dignity, then for the temple's reputation. She does not speak, although words rage inside her. When the others become too insistent, she shifts her gaze from the goddess to meet their eyes. She wants them to see what has happened, not just to her body, but to her mind and soul. They look away. They leave her to her fight with the goddess. Look at me. She rarely sleeps, but it happens eventually. When she wakes, her goddess is no longer stone, but a radiant presence. Her face, glowing with divinity, is stoic but her eyes are filled with rage as they gaze upon each other. She stands, a bit shaky from her stubborn refusal for all but the most basic of sustenance. Never breaking eye contact, she spreads her arms, displaying all that has been done to her. She is a priestess, but she is not a god. She could not fight off a god before, and she cannot fight one now. So she simply showcases her goddess's shame. A priestess should have her god's protection, and in this, 
Her goddess failed. Look at me. She can't help but let her eyes flutter shut when the goddess reaches out, hands cupping her face. Thumbs trace her cheeks, wiping tears and soothing away the yellowing bruises. She opens them again, and the rage she feels swirls inside her goddess. Or perhaps her goddess's rage swirls inside her. She knows the gods have their own relationships, their own rules, but she begs for vengeance, for some form of relief from her violation. The goddess moves her hands, tracing up her face to her hair. Fingers run through locks, matted with sweat and dirt, gently untangling knots. The sound of snakes fills the air. Look at me. The gentle song of sibilance resonates in her ears, and she finds herself drifting through the temple. None of her sisters cross her path, unusual considering how many there are, in comparison to the temple's size. She finds her feet are taking her outside of the temple, down the path that leads to the nearest port. She has not left the temple in years, but she knows the way still. Her eyes scan the horizon constantly, so she spots the man coming towards her before he sees her. His eyes are down, watching the road for pits and furrows. It is not until he is directly upon her that he looks up, eyes meeting hers. The horror that fills his face is undeniable, but she will not look away, will not let him shame her. She is done with shame. She is given little chance, however, as his gaze breaks from hers almost immediately. The second his eyes move, he becomes stone. She wastes no more time on him, but continues along the path. Look at me. Every time she is looked upon, she returns their gaze. When they flinch, when they break away, they are petrified. It makes her travels easier until she reaches the port and must put to sea. She does not know how to sail, and she cannot hire anyone even if she had the money to do so. Still she walks on, her feet taking her almost against her will. She finds news of her arrival has come before her, as the docks are empty. A small reed boat sits at one end, and she climbs in. Clumsily, she uses the oar to make her way out to sea. She notices when the mare people come up below, hands grasping the sides of the boat and pushing it forward. She gazes through the water at them, these people of the god, but they will not meet her eyes. She does not know why they are helping her, any more than she knows why she has gone to sea, to his domain. There is no answer from the mare people. They are meek, perhaps in his stead. They have been warned. Look at me. The scraping of the boat against shore wakes her. She can see the mare people swimming away, and does not look away until they are gone. Then she makes to exit the boat, looks around to see where she has landed. Instead, she finds two figures standing on the beach. She trudges towards them, the wet sand caking her feet. She meets their eyes, only tangentially aware that their hair is like hers. Beautiful jeweled serpents move around their faces, but she is not distracted by them. She cannot look away from their eyes as she recognizes the rage inside them. Their gazes remain locked until they embrace. Look at me. She looks out at the ocean every day, daring him to surface and meet her gaze. He never does, but inside she knows he is aware of her. He is frightened of her rage and what she can do, but he does nothing. This is the story she tells herself as her belly swells, that her goddess-backed rage is keeping him at bay. She does not know of the machinations of gods. She does not know of his scheming son, who convinces a prince to slay her. All she knows is that a boat approaches, seemingly empty. She and her new sister stand on the cliff edge, and watch it, eyes fixed on its approach. Look at me. She cannot see him. She smells his sweat, hears his sandals scrape against the rock as he dodges her and her sisters. They scream as they attack, reaching out to claw at thin air, but he is too nimble for them. She is unused to fighting the way her sisters fight, so she is unprepared for the way the ground seems unsteady beneath her feet. She is not ready to trip, to stumble past her mark, only to turn and see the shield in front of her. 
It is so shiny, it acts as a mirror, and she freezes in her steps as she sees her reflection. Her eyes meet her own. She finds she cannot bear the rage she sees in those eyes, for it surpasses any other she has seen. Look at me. Her eyes flit away. She does not see the blade that comes for her neck. The... Oh, I really like this story. I think you did a great job with it. It's also very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it was kind of supposed to be. But it's not It's not graphically uncomfortable. It's not... It's poetically uncomfortable. You can... It's just enough that like, I can handle it. It makes me angry. Mm-hmm. And it makes me sad. And I... I hate her death, but it's also like a, I can't speak today. It's um like a final rest for her. It feels like she almost wanted it as well, the way you've written it. Yeah. Um, she, the end it was one of the harder bits to write because I knew by the time I reached the end of writing this, I, I did not want to kill her, but right. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's the story of Medusa. We all know how it ends. She's yeah. killed by Perseus and then her head Dick. is stuck on a shield anyway. Um, but I had to, like, I had to, that's the story. It's not my story. Right. So I'm retelling it. I think you did well with it though. I, I, I love that we don't ever see all the machinations, like you said. We don't ever see all the politics that go into it and all of the trickery and all of the, you know, you do a favor for me, I do a favor for you, hey, go do this thing. Like, we don't see any of that. All we see is this really limited, narrow-focused life that happens so quickly. And then the end of it, and she doesn't even know why. Like, there's no sense of why. Life just happens. And I feel like that actually really reflects a lot of the way the gods fucked over people's lives. They didn't know why. Their life was good. They were doing a thing, and then all of a sudden, Do someone not got push mad. Push her out the window. Sorry, yeah. I just fucked that up. But I, I didn't want the cat to fall out the window. <laughs> Again. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought you did a good job with it. I thought it was good. Yeah, and it's nice to have like a retelling of a of a classic. Well, I can speak classic. A, a classic, a classic <laughs> myth, um, but from a perspective that doesn't often get told, and. Mm-hmm. I've heard so many variations on, like, the Medusa story and, you know, like, she's portrayed as just this angry lady and just this, like, uh, I don't know, this idea of the female antagonist that's always just felt, like, very cheap and hollow to me, Um, especially, like, in in video games or something like that where you've got some version of this Medusa and she's just a Gorgon. Mm -hmm. This is just what Gorgons do. And then this was a, a really humanizing approach to that and it was it was awful to see her lose faith and also get raped and then also just be fueled by rage yeah it all felt vindicated i want to say it felt justified her rage you know whereas before they just you know a lot of the representations of her are just she's an angry snake lady Right. Right. Yeah, I definitely having played many video games where she's represented and you're like, cool, alright, well she dies too easy, one, not fair, and you know, all these things, but uh, and Medusa's always been one of my favorites. I always loved the Gorgons, so yeah. when you tackled this, I was like, yeah! <laughs> right on. Um, and I, as soon as you had given the prompt of eye contact, this is immediately where my mind went, oh, really? was Medusa. <laughs> Interesting. Like, almost immediately. Um, and so, I, of course, I did barest of researches. And I was like, okay, I know that there are a couple different versions. Let me look mm-hmm. into this. And, you know, the the very original version is that she was born a Gorgon. Like, that's mm-hmm. 
she and her sisters were born that way. <laughs> um, but then the second one is that she was turned into a Gorgon by Athena because Poseidon raped her in Athena's temple. And the idea of punishing a woman for something that she can't control, it like it was baffling to me. And I hated it. I hated it so much. So I I wanted to change it. And then to find out that, you know, Perseus was sent by a son of Poseidon mm-hmm. to kill her. Yeah. It's like that's just double fucked up. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Poseidon. You're a swell guy. Yeah, I was I was really happy with the story. I like when I can be a little more lyrical with my writing. Um yeah, I think it was a good format for it. Thanks, guys. Yeah. All right. Um, and for the final story, I did the NPC, non-playable character approach. She didn't remember sleeping at all. Not a wink. With a jaw-cracking yawn, she ground her knuckles against her eyes and slid out of bed. The morning light was the same as it always was, unless some plot event called for rain. She glared at the perfect sunbeams that fell in the same pattern over her floor as they had the day before, and the day before that. What if today she just didn't obey? As soon as she had thought it, she felt the programming pulling at her, dragging her away from the entirely missed comfort of her bed, shoving her through those blinding beams of light toward her dresser. She blinked, still feeling the weight of the exhaustion that hung over her lately. When had she even dressed? She looked down at herself and scowled. The same outfit as she had worn yesterday. Such a plain dress. Such a forgettable style. That is, forgettable if she had been the only one wearing it. Looking past the broad opening of her shop, she could see countless other townsfolk going about their daily routines. Within a minute, she had counted all six of the clothing styles available to them, in all three color palettes. Glancing back down at her muddy green dress with its fringed purple sash and vague tribal patterns at the hem, Well, she had to admit she'd gotten lucky in the palette department. Some of the others were woefully primary, and typically clashed horribly with often equally bold hair colors. There again, she supposed she had lucked out. Her hair was as ashen as the dead fireplace. She blinked and saw the interior of her humble cottage before her again. The sun hadn't moved, but she knew it must be nighttime now. The player clearly hadn't cared to stop by her stall or do much investigating at all that day. They must have hurried straight to the inn to rest and heal. It wouldn't be long before she was forced to cross her room and under the covers of her bed. She wondered, not for the first time, what the point of it all was. Why did she even exist if she was so easily skipped? Then everything went blank. She opened her eyes and groaned. No. Seriously, just no. Hadn't she only just closed her eyes? Had she even done that? She didn't even remember getting into bed. She felt her body shift and her feet hit the floor against her will. No, 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 she thought. She wouldn't do it. She refused. She wouldn't go today. With a wrenching of her own muscles, she twisted and flung her upper body back onto her bed. She knotted her fingers into the downy comforter and buried her face in its depths. She could hardly breathe, but she didn't care. She had made that choice for herself to reclaim one free minute of rest and darkness that was hers and hers alone. The pain it caused her was excruciating like she was being ground up through a series of gears. Each second that ticked by, the pain grew worse, and with it the sound of music that had frozen in a shrill and agonizing screech that was everlasting. Eventually, she relented and found herself skipped forward, already dressed, seated at her shop. 
She probably hadn't even made it a full 10 seconds before the pain had been too much, the pull too overpowering. Everything went black. She fought the grogginess and stumbled towards her dresser. She blinked, and she was sitting in her shop. She counted the items on the shelves. Everything went black. She ground her teeth and hugged her blankets to her. If she could just truly experience sleep, just one day, just one night. She blinked, and she was standing at the entrance to her shop. She hated that shop. Everything went black. She opened her eyes and fought the urge to scream. Then she realized it didn't matter. Screaming wasn't in her coding. She couldn't have done it had she lost her mind. She considered that mindlessness would have been bliss. But there was no real time for considering. She was already rising, already dressing. She sat on her stool, staring at a patch of straw and dirt-strewn floor, memorizing each piece. At least here, she had some choices she could make. They weren't much, and she never knew how long she had, but sometimes it was enough to keep her sane, just that little bit of free will. One day, the player had left their game running, and she had spent hours milling around her shop. She had learned more that day than she had in all her other remembered days combined. She had tested the limits of her coding. She knew that she could sweep the entire shop, dust all of the shelves. She could inventory her limited selection of medicines, remedies, antidotes, elixirs and panaceas, resurrection brews and simple healing droughts, and her paltry selection of cooking ingredients. She could open the till, though its contents were infinite and non-existent at the same time. She could make improvements to the decor and the basic arrangement of non-purchasable items, though the changes would be reset at the end of the day. When she realized that she had done all she could and the day was persisting, she had looked to the broad doorway and that small patch of street beyond. Her heart had pounded so hard in her chest that she thought she might die, and it was the only time she would have regretted such a thing. She had been terrified at the prospect of some new territory outside what had been her life. Her one-room cottage, her one-room shop, her one-room cottage, her one-room shop, her one-room... She had held her breath and taken two steps, frozen, then taken four more, then another three. She had stopped just before the cutoff of the arching entrance, the toes of her simple slippers a mere inch from the end of the worn floorboards. She hadn't been brave enough to step outside before everything reset. Today, she only stared. Several days in a row after that one day of freedom, she had thrown herself at the doorway, certain that she'd be able to leave. She'd only ever been able to step to the edge of the floorboards. The sun was always so glaring after the relative dark of her shop, and she was always blinded. She could never make out the contents of a street, no matter how she tried. So she had stopped trying. It had caused her endless heartache, so that now, she had no aching left in her. Only a dull rage. Only a suffering that wore away at her like the current wore down the banks of the river. So she stared. She stared at the dirt on the floor, the bits of straw, the wood grain she had long since memorized on her counters. Sometimes she watched out that cruel doorway for the townsfolk she knew would pass by, always in the same pattern, red shirt, yellow dress, pink dress and daughter, red shirt again, green, brown, red, red, uniform, blue, yellow. She wondered if any of them remembered like she could remember. She blinked at her dresser. She sighed at her bed. She tapped her fingers along the counter, drumming in as close to a musical pattern as she was allowed to create. Apparently, NPCs were not allowed to compose, unless, of course, that was their function. She had tried to dance once. Her body had grown heavier and heavier until she could only stand rooted to one spot until the day reset. Her idle finger percussion was interrupted suddenly by an overwhelming compulsion. She sat bolt upright and fixed an alert and welcoming smile on her face. In spite of herself, her heart began to race with excitement. A player had loaded in the area. 
It so rarely happened. So many days flitted in between the actual encounters, she could hardly remember them. She felt panic curling in her stomach as she tried to recall her lines. But it didn't matter. She wasn't allowed to truly forget them. A shadow filled the doorway, small puffs of dust settling about the mysterious player's feet. Unbidden, the words were pulled from her lips. Welcome. We have the best products in all of Blossomville Town. Please take your time. Her smile was painful. It was so out of use. But she could not tug it out of place. It was there for the player's benefit, even if they never noticed it. Her heart was hammering inside of her, and she turned to watch the player as they entered the shop. They were so different from the townsfolk. Their silhouette was ragged, and she assumed they had a bad connection. But it quickly cleared, revealing a man of impossible origins. His hair was whiter than the glare of the sun and drawn into a long ponytail. His eyes were black as coal, but the irises burned red. He had what could have been considered a handsome face, if not for the awkward, pinched customization and the splendidly broken nose. There were also scars down the left side, as well as a tattoo under his right eye, and piercings up one earlobe. His attire appeared to take inspiration from some barbaric northern tribe, all furs and leather lashings and intricate embroidery. Yet his armor plating was strictly southern and contemporary, while he wore what she knew to be slacks and motorcycle boots. She was baffled as to what all these things even were, yet she found it difficult to question them. Those were the rules. She was not an NPC capable of opinions. Though if she had been, she would have thought the player looked quite stupid. The player made their way into the shop in halting, jerky steps, checking the shelves every few inches. She supposed they were looking for hidden treasures. She knew that the chest underneath the cabbages held a very common treasure, a bottle of instant flame which did little more than ten damage to any single enemy, to be used only in battle and only once. But its commonality didn't bother her. In fact, she had grown to love it very much. It was the one glimmer of interest in all her shop. She knew it was not for her. She knew that she could not even open it. But it was in her keeping, and sometimes the players didn't check for it. Whenever that happened, she felt that it was hers by consequence. Yet the rules dictated that she did not own it, and that she could not keep it. She had tried to hide it in a less obvious place, because truly, who kept treasures in great, big, hulking chests anyway? But no matter where she had shoved it, the bottle refused to stay. It could only reside in the chest. She had even tried to take it home with her, to stow it somewhere secret beneath the shadows of her dresser, but it had simply disappeared from her hands when she had blinked home for the day. The player kicked the chest open and picked up the bottle. It disappeared into his inventory, and she was filled with a sudden and complete loathing for the player. She wanted to shout at him, to kick him, to ask him how he thought it was acceptable to barge into her shop and steal from her. But she could do none of these things. She felt the coating binding her, burning her to the core. She managed one choked syllable of contempt before she glitched to her stool, eyes locked on the till. She raged inside as she heard him clomping around behind her, searching for more treasures. Well, he wouldn't find any, the greedy bastard. You're sure to see something you like, she suddenly crooned at him in what was her required greeting to doing business. He had activated the shop menu, and she was forced to blink at him stupidly while he made his selections. She could see items disappearing from her shelves as he cued them for his purchase. There were three potions of lesser healing, one antidote for poison, the idiot only took one waking drought. He clearly didn't know but the fields beyond the town were rife with sleep-casting flora beasts. Be sure to come back if you need anything else, she chirped at him in what was supposed to be a pleasant tone, but always felt a little flat to her. You're sure to see, she began again, as he reactivated the shop menu, but he had clicked past her speech. She had so few opportunities to use her voice, and these impatient players could care less. She was certain that her voice wasn't even her own. Countless other NPC females must have the same one. She wondered if they even had the same trademark greeting. 
Unbidden, shame burned through her. What did she truly have that was hers? Were even these fleeting, desperate thoughts shared by the others, or did she alone have thoughts? Be sure to- you're sure to see- He wasn't very good at managing the menu, she decided. He must have forgotten something. Suddenly, she saw piles of useless items pouring out of empty space near the player. She groaned inwardly. Great! He was going to steal her treasure, skip her speech, and now this, forcing her to buy all of his useless loot from fighting and traveling. She would have thought a traveler and adventurer would have more interesting things to sell than tufts of matted boar fur, insect husks, wilted weeds, broken scraps of armor, and damaged keys. She guessed that he probably hoarded all the real loot like she hoarded that one bottle of flame. When he had finished dropping all of his useless materials about her shop, she heard the till click and chime and knew he had been paid. Be sure to come back if the player turned to leave, shuffling noisily through the piles of trash he had discarded. She hated him. It was easy for him to upset her routine and then just leave. She stared after him for a long time after he left. She kept waiting for the reset, but it was taking so long. Usually the players that rushed her were quick to leave the town or hit up the inn. She never had time to do much more than bemoan her existence. What point was there in cleaning up the mess he had left when it would only reset the moment she got to work? She kicked the piles of garbage with a vicious glee. Brittle insect husks disintegrated and chunks of armor went clattering to the floor, tinging and clanging against themselves. Why had she been so excited to see a player? Why did it always thrill her? She tried to pick up her stool, but it was secured to the floor. She turned around, helpless, angry, and beside herself with a desperation to escape. Taking handfuls of balut, she began hurling it at the doorway. Molding books tore apart and crumpled just past the entrance, in sunlit heaps with all the other bits and pieces. Bits of metal scrap made a racket as they ricocheted off the doorframe and skidded along the floor, causing a few of the NPCs outside to stop and look. She couldn't scream, but she would find a way to be heard. She grabbed up loot and threw it wildly, aiming for the townsfolk that stood in shock outside her shop. For her shelves of neatly arranged merchandise, for the stupid stool forever fixed in its spot. Suddenly, she gasped in pain. Her hand opened and closed as she stared at her palm, bearing a shallow, thin cut which had begun to bleed. She had never felt this kind of pain before. Certainly, she had pushed the limits of what her coding would allow her to do, and that was a pain so immeasurable it could not be withstood for long. This, however, was a pain of an entirely different sort. A physical pain that felt at once trivial and flat, but also sharp and pure. She looked at the floor past her fingers and saw what had caused the damage. Among the debris was a battered, rusted sword that was missing the tip, and where it had been broken off in a jagged line, the blade was as sharp as though newly forged. There, along its razor edge, was a gleam of wet red, her blood. She didn't even know she had blood. Was she supposed to bleed? Could she bleed? The world ground down to a halt. She could feel her heart thudding in her chest, the pain searing through her palm. She could see what was before her, but she couldn't hear anything. She glanced up at the doorway and saw nothing. It was just white, endless and clean. This was new. This had never happened before. She hesitated for a moment, but there was nothing else to be done, and so she reached down and grabbed the hilt of the blade. She was surprised at the weight of it as she lifted it out of the pile. Her blood tried to run down the truncated length of the aged weapon, but it was sluggish and small in amount. She considered adding more, feeling that startling bite again, but she was aware of someone in the doorway. Error! The fuzzy shape shouted at her, its voice echoed, permeating everything that existed, its voice was existence. It was the code. She tried to argue with it, clinging to the blade so hard she thought her knuckles would pop free of their sockets. Error. NPC shopkeeper 0014 is not designated fighter class. 
NPC shopkeeper 0014 has touched forbidden item designated weapon 01599. NPC shopkeeper 0014 has taken forbidden action. Acquired injury despite having no health allowance. Error. 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 The code screamed at her. Its words broke through her and she knew them to be true. Yet she could not ignore the pain still stinging her palm and the weight of the sword hanging from her grip. She hesitated. She questioned. If she could do it, then how could the code say otherwise? How could it be forbidden? But I just... Error. NPC shopkeeper 0014 has spoken outside of script. Error. The code continued its screaming, adding to her list of crimes. She could think of nothing but its words. No, no, wait. I just... She tried to fight it. Error. Error. Forbidden item. Forbidden action. Forbidden speech. Please, I only want... I only want to... The code's voice was so loud and omnipresent. She felt sick and constricted. She felt at once like she would be crushed and like she would rattle apart, all of her flying into millions of pieces and vanishing as the player had. Her vision blurred. She felt herself blurring, breaking. She wondered if she looked like the edge of that broken sword. Error. Reset. Error. Reset. Error. No! She gripped it with both hands, awkward with the newness of such a thing. Reset. Error. Reset. No! She shouted back, shocked at her own voice. Error. No! She screamed with every bit of her that was herself, with every string of loose code left to her. She screamed until she thought she'd shatter like it wanted her to. In her last moments, she lifted the sword high, uncertain what she was going to do with it. Then she gritted her teeth and slashed out with all of her might. Reset. 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 Re- She opened her eyes and smiled. She rubbed her knuckles under the sleep-crusted eyes and fought a yawn. She didn't think she could have slept more than a minute. But the day had begun and she was awake now. She slid out of bed and selected her favorite muted green dress, pairing it with her favorite sash. She smiled at her humble cottage, illuminated by the radiant morning sun, just like every day. With a contented sigh, she set out for her shop. She hoped it would be another uneventful day. Okay. <laughs> that poor character! <laughs> ah, to be trapped, unable to do anything. I always empathize with NPCs. <laughs> yeah, it just makes it sound so, I don't know, so, so sad. Yeah. So pointless. <laughs> and I was really rooting for her to destroy the code, which would have in turn ruined everything, but yeah. it made me really happy. Secretly, in the back of my mind, I imagine she broke free and she is running around somewhere as a player character. But, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't. No. no. That game wouldn't be playable anymore. That's right. Yeah. And I like how you kind of have to describe, like, what game specifically that is. It's just like, a, I'm, I'm sorry, it's just like a, can't, can't speak. It's all games. It's all games <laughs> at once. It is all games. It is an amalgam. Yeah. I, obviously, RPG-style games, but, yeah. I was thinking back to all the ones I ever play where... I go kicking things and breaking things in people's homes, and I'm like, oh, I'm a dick. It's I like feel a, like a jerk. It's like, I don't want to hear the speech again. Yeah. Ugh. Skip, 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 skip. <laughs> Welcome to your store. I get it. Welcome to your store. Yes, I know. Yeah. But I like it a lot. Yeah. It was very clever. Yeah. And claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. It's a very claustrophobic story, which is interesting Good. because a lot of RPG, especially nowadays, a lot of games are so big. Yeah. And but so those NPCs don't get to go anywhere. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. It just bums me out. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry <laughs> about my... so well that it's like, it's just, it's sad. It's... Sorry my story bummed you out. <laughs> I mean, well, I was just rooting for her to be able to do more with her life than just live in the, the, the part where you're talking about her one-room cottage, her one-room shop, her one-room cottage, her one-room shop. 
one room. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> Sounds terrible. And the, the even the little things that she tries to take pleasure in, like, it's it's not her bottle of impervious fire or whatever it was. <laughs> it was a bottle of flame. Bottle it was of a flame. bottle of flame. Yep. More than and 10 damage. Usable only once. <laughs> and And it was hers, but it's like she couldn't even keep that if she wanted to. She try and rearrange things, and they just reset. It's just like no. It would drive me nuts. I think in that case, it would be better to not. You and then I was definitely thinking of the question of freedom and free will, and is it worth it if you know you can't actually use it if you're aware and have self control, but can't actually employ that self control? Is it worth it to be aware? But then you get into that scary territory of well, I think I'd rather know than be mindless. Yeah. But then it's torture. <laughs> yeah. Are you better off knowing? You know, and people are, people always say, like, something horrible happens, and it's like, well, at least you're alive. Right. But would, would you want to live in that scenario? I don't think I would. Because I'm so defiant? Yeah, I would rather be aware, because I would always rather try to fight. But it's torture. You're just going to make yourself suffer. <laughs> so, also, the player character was definitely inspired by the kind of <laughs> super derpy, over-the-top, unrealistic combinations that people always make. And honestly, I was thinking of one of my brothers and the characters that he makes. <laughs> not you, Jeff. Not you. Uh, <laughs> ben. Yeah, Ben can make some pretty... Always white hair, always like, oh, super evil or super overpowered. And then also the really cool armor, but also the really, you know, all the things at once. Yeah. And you're like, do you need that much happening on that one bit of skin you can actually see? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm certainly guilty of it. It's like, let me put a scar right here under the cheek, but oh, I'm going to have a half-face tattoo. And <laughs> I usually do one or the other, scar or tattoo, or I'll put the tattoo on the arm or something anyway. Yeah, I liked it a lot. What, what do we... Now we have to discuss next week's, yeah. next Fortnite's prompts, which are yours, I believe, Brenna. Oh, super. Yeah. Hold, hold on, I'll get them for you. Thanks. We appreciate you guys sticking around and listening to episode two, chapter two of our writing group. We hope you have enjoyed it and are making your own prompts or making your own stories along with us. Or artwork. Or, or artwork. Or music. Yeah. Anything. Interpretive dance. You know, the world is your oyster. Oyster dance. Oyster dance. <laughs> okay. So, um, oh, 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 I wish, I wish I had video right now of the oyster dance. <laughs> no one will ever see it. <laughs> We've just seen it. Yeah. <laughs> They may not be able to share that, <laughs> but you've just performed the oyster dance for us. Um, so prompts for the next uh, fortnight are someone deprived, someone indulged, and someone creating. I, I, any of those. All right. So thank you for joining us, and see you next time. Bye. Do not put that in the bloopers. <laughs> Do not put that in the bloopers. Well, Just fucking move that. <laughs> totally going in the bloopers. Fuck. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't fuck this up. <sighs> Drink. Cough. Maybe don't cough too much. That's not how reading works. <laughs> Got rid of the checks. <laughs> so glad I just ruined that take because you are not friendly. <laughs> and I... Yeah, hi. You're interrupting the story and your voice sounds better than mine. All the cat noises happening in the Brenna corner. I'm sorry. Slash not sorry. It's my cat call party. Copacetic? Yeah. Real groovy, man.
Keep keep it groovy. No. Oh no. 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 We're done. We're done. 